If you know me at all, you know that death is my bread mm -hmm. and danger my butter. Oh, no, danger's my bread and death is my butter. No, no, wait. Danger's my bread. Death, no, death. No, I'm sorry. Death is my... Death and danger are my various breads and, and various butters. Mm -hmm. right? I'm just going to come out and say this. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I don't know why others haven't. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they have. Frank Sinatra sucks. Oh. I cannot understand how crooning is a popular thing. Like, I don't understand the talking singing and why, like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. I think you're actually right. No one has ever said that. What is so great about it? I cannot fathom the, why people get into it. His, his voice, you mean? Just the whole song style. The, the, oh, oh, so, so not, I'm sorry, not just Frank Sinatra, but like Dean Martin, Bobby Darren. The whole, croon, the whole crooner genre. Wow. Just the, for me, it's, it's indistinguishable from the talking singing. Talking singing. All I know is the talking. Yeah, how do you not know what I mean by talking singing? I mean, Crooners are just basically talking and then adding a little song to their voice and calling it singing. I don't. I don't think that's true at all. Yeah. Michelle and Renan, why aren't you with me? I, I agree. I agree. I think. Oh. I think We're he is talking singing, <laughs> but like you know, in, in a way that you would like kind of melodically read a poem, mm -hmm. which like kind of goes with the whole idea of all songs are poems. I don't understand when in the 50s when people were getting all irate because rock and roll was coming along and it was so bad. Yeah. It, it, it just seems as good as any crooning that was going on. Can you play, how many how many seconds of music can we play before we, we are under copyright infringement? Like 30 seconds. Okay. Play 29 seconds of Under the Sea. Um, I just don't, I'm not impressed by it. So what genre of music is the, is, is to you the best showcase of someone's singing ability? No, I mean, I don't know that there's one that's the best. I just don't know why people think that is the best. I, I just think they have very good voices. I don't really know that they do. <laughs> you are, this, this is quite a, quite a stance you're taking here. <laughs> We're going to get lots of emails. Is this, wait, is this why you're doing this? Because you're taking something obvious that everyone loves. This is not the corny, like, look at what? me, counterintuitive. I don't. You think gravity goes down. Yeah. Chocolate. What's up with that? <laughs> no. No. This is not quirky, provocateur. You just don't get it. I can tell you another thing, though. Mm. So I had a, this isn't an earworm problem, but it's an earworm trans translation problem. Yeah. I have struggled for the last two weeks. Every time Adele starts in my head, yeah. it switches really quickly to Neil Diamond's 1982 jazz singer song, Hello Again. Oh. And I don't like that. Yeah. And yeah. I can't get back to Adele. And I'll tell you, I was trying to manage this. Mm -hmm. And somehow it's, it leapt over to Lionel Richie, hello. Wow. That's, that's, that's a couple steps. If you get caught in that, you can't get back to Adele. I, I had a similar thing when um, thinking of the song Goldfinger, that always turned into Moon River for me. <laughs> Goldfinger, wider than a mile. Speaking of like singing quality, I mean... Of those three, I would have to put Adele on, on the top. Okay. And so there I'm taking a stand. You are. She's better than Neil Diamond. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that I doubted you by saying that Frank Sinatra is not a good singer. Freddie Mercury is a very good singer. There you go. Well, but I think, I think Frank Sinatra is also a very good singer. That's a thing. <laughs> We're going to have to agree to disagree. I don't agree to that. <laughs> Oh, well, our guest is here, I think. Well, then, then we'll have to we should just welcome her. our guest. We should. We can ask her. Yeah. She's currently she opening the door. She's in. Hello. 
We were just correcting Simon's misperceptions about Frank Sinatra quality. Well, it depends on whether you're looking for overall musical quality or maybe engagement with the audience. I'll take that. That's no, I'll take, that's a, that's no, an argument a, on my side. He's a very good singer by by all objective criteria. I think maybe engagement with the audience. It's hard to picture <laughs> him without like he's walking working the crowd. Everybody's excited. Great. I can't enter into this without knowing more about your overall <laughs> musical taste. So, where do you position yourselves? There you go. Oh boy. I think we know a lot about this because you know you made a lot of uh, musical references in the past, but and and you also choose good music for the podcast itself. Can, uh, would you mind if we uh, honored our guest by at least welcoming? Her? I think we should. Um, <laughs> right here, this is Very Spreads and Butters, episode fifty-six, with me, Simon Tonev, Ben Brickhouse Cohen. Uh, we have our producers out there, Renan Sequitur Dinser and Michelle Poulton Simon, our intern. We don't have a nickname for her Still yet. Still don't have a nickname. We don't. Our very special guest in studio with us right now, live, is President Allison Byerly, president of Lafayette College. Do you think people will believe that that's true? I don't know. I think, I think they'll think that we're just cutting her into everything. Might depend on, on, on uh, what I say. Well, and, and, and Ben shared with me the inside information that apparently one member of this team was nervous about having the president on the <laughs> show. I don't know if it's because he thought I might go into a speech about the capital campaign. Or... Look, at my, look at my hands. They're sweaty already. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's because I, I was taught when I first got here that every person, no, every, I think, administrator serves at the pleasure of the president was the was what's was what i heard that just sounds scary that it does sounds sound scary. like you know some sort of like it's strange language at any moment i could be displeased i could That's say exactly. we are not amused oh, we are right. not pleased this and... is this is so i just gotta <laughs> just everybody just be cool um do we have a natural starting point not really i think i think well i, th- I think we we started with talking about um your dislike of crooners um it's i want to uh, i don't want to walk that back but what i want to say is not so much a dislike of crooners but mm-hmm. uh Lack of understanding of the popularity of crooners, which I think of as talker singers. Okay. I think they're just, there's people who sing, there's people who talk, and they're in between, but they're not backing down from singing. They're just walking up from talking. Mm. Well, in, in some ways, I think of them as, as kind of personalities who have an appeal as individuals. And, and as a Victorian scholar, I think of them as being like Victorian monologists who used to give talk you know who would speak and they would sing and they would do kind of music hall patter mm-hmm. and they would develop a kind of persona that was appealing as a character and so i think it might be that you know some of the someone like barbara streisand or, or mm-hmm. frank sinatra falls in the category of a kind of personality mm. um who transcends yeah. um the music itself but ben doesn't want to listen to any of them that's okay there well that was go. a pretty good explanation okay um now now what what are your musical tastes now what did you listen what do you listen to now what did you listen to in your 30s, 20s, teens, all that stuff. <laughs> that's a great question. You know, one of the things that's fascinating about how um, the music industry has changed and mm-hmm. the technology has changed is, of course, all music is now in the present instead mm-hmm. of, you know, the kind of layers of, of oldies that you used to think of in the past. And so currently, I would say I listen to a mixture of what you might call, I don't know, maybe kind of contemporary alternative, mm-hmm. say, the Decembrists, mm-hmm. the Shins, Neutral sure. Milk Hotel. Those are those are on my list, yeah. and I'm not saying that to suck up. Yeah. I yeah. can show you. I'll, I'll show you my oh, playlist. Okay. There you go. Good okay. trade playlist. You know, and and so going back a decade, we would hit you know the cranberries, mm-hmm. kind of you know the sort of same same right. genre. You know, in high school, I of course was in high school in the dark ages of the '70s. Ooh, disco. So disco, exactly. Billy Joel, Fleetwood mm. Mac. You know, those were the things. You but, could have been listening to the Dead. 
I could well, and I was, and I was, and I will say that when I got to college, one of my closest friends was intensely into punk rock, and she actually radioed, um, uh, DJed a radio show at uh, Wellesley where I went as an undergrad. That was really surprising to most of the Wellesley audience because she was playing, you know, nothing but um, huh. very hardcore punk, and and people just had never heard anything like this. Before. Sounds like Wellesley to it, me. From yeah, what well, I've heard. exactly. But I think I have um, in my family. My my husband Steve is very very into music and has very wide and interesting tastes in music, and my son. Ryan, who is a high school senior, um, does a lot of electronic music production. He's very into music as well. And actually, this is a good week to ask about musical taste because Ryan is taking a music class at his uh, school, Moravian Academy, Mm -hmm. that involved uh, construction music that involved interviewing his parents about their musical tastes. And I have to say, Steve kind of took it away there. I started saying like, well, you know, when I was in high school, I liked, you know, and and then he lost interest. And then Steve started (laughs) recounting the great acts that he saw, you know, in Akron in the 90s and seeing the talking heads the first time they played Remain in Light. Oh, wow. You know, which is... A there thing. you go. So okay, I couldn't compete with that. I just had to step out of the conversation. My, my musical taste answered the earlier question. I'm very excited that in 1996 I got to see Fish do their Halloween show, and on Halloween they they do a musical costume where they play somebody else's entire album. They played Remain in Light. Oh, absolutely. Well, and of course, as a former Vermonter, I love Fish too. So, if you're a Fish fan and you've already referenced the Grateful Dead, um, can you enlighten the audience as to where the name Grateful Dead came from? It's a quiz. Ooh. Oh, oh wait! And I'm not saying I can take the, this tenure the, away. The if tables it doesn't have get turned. It, but exactly. The tables have turned on the quizzes. We will be giving a quiz later. <laughs> okay. No, I can't. Okay. Uh, well, now I can't. I'm not sure if I can it recreate like it correctly. It be, but it's not Eastern. But scripture. as I said, my my husband, who knows everything about music, was explaining that. Um, uh, I can't remember which member of the band, but it probably was Jerry Garcia, was reading something about Egyptian mythology, and there was some description of um, some uh, famous Egyptian artistic rendering that describe, you know, that that sort of depicts what some um, text, some ancient text, describes as the Grateful Dead passing into the beyond and thanking the spirits for their happy passage. And he just liked the phrase "Grateful Dead." There you well, go. Do you imagine that this might be one of the parts in the podcast where? We'd have to cut it because it might play as president goes on radio and talks nonstop about her <laughs> years tr- following the Grateful Dead. It's true. It could give a whole different. It depends on how you edit it. <laughs> right. Yes, right. Well, it would be a nice counterpoint to, I was uh, doing a, a video thing uh, for communications recently as a sort of PR for ConnectEd, our online courses that we're doing in January. Yeah. So they wanted something personal. So they said, um, tell us something about yourself that nobody knows. And I said, I was in my high school marching band and the drill team and was really, really into competitive marching at that time. And so that might be a nice balance because for people huh. who would be freaked out at the no- notion that I was a, a flag twirler and a piccolo player, it, it would give me a little cred if I was actually also thought of as a deadhead. Okay, the there time. you go. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, can, we, can, we can throw that into the ether. Yeah. 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 Simon, I don't know if you've ever answered this. What were your, what were your teenage... Musical oh, taste. there was there was just a lot of terrible stuff going on at that point. So I so I, so, so what year ago? would this have been? Circa when? Circa were you a okay. So I just turned forty last week. Um, happy birthday! Thank you very much. Happy birthday to you too. Thank I you. Believe I believe we have the same birthday. Oh no, oh, I, November twentieth. You right? are you're right. I completely <laughs> forgot that. Okay, so I will remember that next year. I will be sure and wish you a happy birthday. Yeah, happy, happy birthday. belated birthday. Thank you. It's very it's much. a great date. <laughs> it is absolutely 1975 was mine. So I think my I think I want to start with the part I'm not embarrassed about because there was a there was a long Chicago Peter Cetera thing when I was in like seventh grade for some yeah. reason it was. It Would was you call like, Peter Cetera a good singer? Uh, not now, and I hope he's not listening because he's. You don't I'm want sure to call he's him a very nice guy. Friend of the show? No, I don't <laughs> think so. Not I don't think he's going to come on. 
Um, but no, but after there, there was a point, I think when I got to high school that after having all my friends make fun of me for my dumb musical taste, I switched to more Canadiana. So things like Tragically Hip, mm-hmm. Blue Rodeo, those types of bands, Sky Diggers, like those bands that were, um, because big in they were Canada, Canadian. a lot because they were Canadian, but then I actually liked them as well, which was good. And so I listened almost only to those bands and for a long time that was sort of it and that 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 was good i enjoyed doing that but that sort of um dried up a little bit close to the i think late 90s early 2000s which is when i heard the soundtrack for scrubs mm-hmm. and that is great a, music on scrubs yeah, actually and and that was a great and that that sort of intru- introduced me to the shins with um new slang renan michelle do you have uh, some contribution here well, I, I think as millennials, I think we list, like because of that whole streaming thing, mm-hmm. we discovered a lot of music very late. And then I think we appreciate a lot of things our parents listened to. And I think um, that's a very unique thing to millennials. Like we don't mm-hmm. see what's all, I discovered the shins, I'll tell you, this year. No. And nice. it's never too late. There's a lot there. See, like, there's so much music, and I keep, like, playing. And I also discovered the whole idea of, um, this is kind of recent as well, listening to an album from beginning to the end. Because, you know, that's oh, yeah. that, that's something what a we concept. don't have. Yeah, yeah right? right? Yeah, I feel like that's gone out the window. Mm-hmm. Like, especially when I was just shuffling my iPod. Like, the concept of listening to an entire album is something that I have to focus on. Mm-hmm. It's not, like, the most, it's not, like, what you're given. But the interesting thing is, my roommate, for example, listens to a lot of uh, records. We have a record player in our home, mm-hmm. but we we have a record player. We don't have a cassette player. We had an eight track player, <laughs> and cool. we don't we don't have a radio or like an MP3 situation. Wow, um, which is like kind of all over the place. Do you have a phonograph, <laughs> <laughs> an RCA Victor, v- yeah, exactly. Someone yeah. so you pick one roommate to crank it. Right. As you go. I just think that the composition of an album as a whole is such like a lost art that there's something really special about an album that fits as an album instead of just like artists throwing together a bunch of singles that they like. Mm-hmm. Well, so I don't want to jump off track too much, but you reminded me that I wanted to know more about the president's house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Can we ask about that? Sure. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful old house. It has, you know, the, the, the way that it works is the whole downstairs is furnished with college furniture, largely antiques, including some things borrowed from the Northampton Historical Society. So legit antiques, very wow. nice things. And then some actual just nice furniture, mm-hmm. lots of artwork, um, you know, uh, paintings from the college's collection. One of the fun things we got to do was look at the paintings on the wall and decide whether we, there might be something else we would like. And so we got to look at the what's currently not on display in the college's wow. collection. And so yeah. we have these lovely old portraits many of them are people like who are um you know people like james madison porter you know mm-hmm. early founder of the college yeah. um, or various local dignitaries and things so it's got lots of serious portraits of you know old white guys and 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 the upstairs the second and third floor is all our own furniture and our own stuff and so um so if you walk in you'll see the downstairs is pretty formal the only stuff of ours that is out in display in that formal space is and this always gets a lot of attention when people visit. Uh, my husband collects antique microscopes. And so we have a room That's that the one has, thing I did know. Oh, you knew this. We're yeah. becoming famous. And so we have these beautiful brass microscopes mm. along with some nice uh, books, like our first editions and things we put out there because they, they suit the uh, antique ambience. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I missed the boat last time I taught a history technology class a couple of years ago. And I was going to talk to him right. about um, rolling that into the class. I'm doing it again in the spring. So 
I'll, I'm, I'm keeping it. I'll listen to this episode again to remind me <laughs> to think about it. Now, what what's the Wi-Fi situation like in the house? Yeah, uh, good reception. Uh, a pretty 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 decent reception. We actually had them do some improvement on it um, uh, when we when we first got there, and so I would say we're we're fairly solid in, in that regard. And I do hold meetings there sometimes, so I'll occasionally have you know a cabinet meeting or something in the dining it. room, yeah. you know that kind of stuff. So you do need good reception, and of course, everyone in the house is always using it simultaneously. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't I don't want to forget, Renan. This is a good point to ask your question for your long hollowed bucket list dream. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I don't know if you uh, listened to the uh, one of the past episodes where I kind of complain by the fact that I go <laughs> to the grocery store a lot, uh-huh. and then I never see professors. Huh. And I ma- I did some research. I asked what the professors and said, "Oh, which grocery store do you go to?" And I was wondering which grocery store do you go to, or do you go to the grocery store? Is there kind of a situation like Barack Obama, Secret Service, you know, shopping for them? <laughs> Mm-hmm. What what's the grocery store situation? What's, it, what's like? the grocery store situation? So I'll be totally upfront and say my husband does a little bit more, actually a lot more of the grocery shopping than I do. Mm-hmm. He works at home. His his job is he's an edit- editor. He edits medical journals, and mm-hmm. so his schedule is more flexible. So I have to admit that having a quote unquote flexible schedule means you do more of the stuff around the house. It's true. I, mm-hmm. So he does a bit more of the grocery shopping. I would say we divide our time between we, we go to both Giant and Wegmans. Have you yeah. run into students? Yeah, I do. I, I have often run into students. Actually, I ran into a faculty member there once at the um, start of the summer, and he sort of stammered a bit. And he said, I'm having that moment when you find your teacher in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I have that, had that effect, apparently, even on faculty. But I do see students there, and um, they're usually buying chips. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Renan, are you okay with this? I mean, the fact that students are buying chips? No. That, <laughs> oh. That, the president... Does appear at grocery stores. Would you mind texting Renan next time you go? Sure, so that he can sure. I'll let you know okay. so we can right. coordinate. Right, that would be good. Well, if you have, I was going to ask earlier, right off the bat, now that we have you in the room, if you'd be willing to tell us who your favorite student is at the college. Who's the best student? Ooh, that's a tough one. I don't think I don't think I could play favorites that way. Well, I, then, can, uh, I can tell you about categories of students. Well, here, I'll change it. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say who's, the, who's your favorite faculty member? Like, who's the best? I'm right here. You can... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think Ben Cohen would have to be at the top. Of, I guess I'll tell my wife when I get home. Michelle, that's, that, that's, Michelle right. that's the new promo. Exactly, that's right. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, you know, one of the things that um, one of the things that I really enjoy about uh, getting to know the students is that you know we have such a wonderful range of students. And in the last, because there've been a lot of events in the last couple of days, I was just at a gathering, a posse holiday gathering, and then I was at the choir concert Saturday, and then I was at a Hillel gathering on Friday. And it just you know you you look across the spectrum of students, their backgrounds, their interests, and there's yeah. just a great range of them. One thing I am excited about is I'm teaching a class this spring, and so I will get to have students in an actual class of my own not Ooh. just talking to other people's students yeah. about what are you doing in professor cohen's class but um and you get, we'll to, get form, to formally judge them yeah at exactly that point. Yeah. exactly so what so what is what is the class so the class is called fictional worlds and it is basically uh and i taught this course uh at middlebury before before coming here it's a class in which i look at a variety of literary texts but also a few movies and a few tv shows to talk a little bit about what creates a sense of realism in a fictional universe mm-hmm. what is it that makes certain characters seem real what is it that makes a certain world feel real enough you can walk in and out of it and so i hit some kind of fan heavy things like sherlock holmes and tolkien but i also do some regular novels like robinson crusoe i'm doing mrs dalloway um to talk about what makes a fictional world seem realistic what leads you to feel kind of immersed in that space yeah. and then and then i'll end up with a few um films and and television shows because i want to talk a little bit about how different media use some of the same strategies but in, in different forms okay that that opens a lot of things up to, <laughs> to start but i want to ask will 
so so obviously you're you know you're talking about things that make those worlds seem real are there examples of of people who have just spectacularly failed at that and, and, oh, and, great question! Yeah. You know, you mean a world that just doesn't feel realistic yeah, at all? Yeah. If you yeah. if you if you take if you take what wow man this this author made this world seem so real and all that stuff, but then obviously there are ones that don't do so well. well. And, and it's I guess I would say um, that that's not the objective of all fiction. You know, my my sort of scholarly field is nineteenth century British novels, so <laughs> that's like Charles Dickens and George Eliot, and those are thought of as kind of kind of the great realists. Realism is sort of the baseline of what you expect from novels, mm-hmm. and so when you read something like magical realism or postmodernism, you realize that's not what Thomas Pynchon is trying to do. He's not trying to convince you this is what this world is like. Yeah. Um, he's trying to you know create a, a sense of dislocation in some ways. And so I, I guess I would say I don't exactly look at other novels and say it doesn't feel real, mm-hmm. but I think I'm, I'm sort of intrigued by how audiences respond. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about the ways in which some, and, and that's why I start the course with Sherlock Holmes. You know, that is the character that's been most reproduced in movies films, you know, as we can see this kind of resurgence in popularity. Mm-hmm. We'll do a couple episodes of Sherlock because I love the show. Um, and uh, I think uh, people will enjoy that. You know, that there's something about a particular setup that mm-hmm. just makes it feel like you can walk into it. Mm-hmm. And so I like to start with a couple of those stories by Conan Doyle and talk about how does he frame the narrative? How does he introduce the character? What are the kind of triggers around it that give you some connection between that world and the kind of world you live in. So yeah. it's it, it feels kind of adjacent to your world, mm-hmm. like it's it's exactly like your own. And and how does that survive over time? Mm-hmm. And so when I think of worlds that seem not realistic, you know, science fiction is full of worlds that are meant to feel coherent mm-hmm. and, and immersive, but not necessarily realistic in the sense of sure. it, it reminds you of your own world. Yeah, I don't want to step on your toes, Simon, but one thing like that Sherlock um, in particular reminds me, what do you make of the action heroification of all, what's a better <laughs> word for that? That just That's that pretty Sher- good. I, get that you, I see Sher- where you're going. Like Sherlock, any of the reboots, any of the remakes of these hollowed figures, the, it's always a step up in their action hero identity. So Sherlock Holmes is much more of a fighting action hero person now than I imagine he would have been. Or even the superheroes, like they become much more... I mean, James Bond, I, I'm not a James Bond aficionado, but he's much more like, he's just super action hero to keep up with, you know, born. the born legacy kind of stuff Mm -hmm. than you know sean connery era Mm -hmm. where and i don't just mean in terms of like fitness and and six-pack abs but just attitude and the way they carry themselves it wasn't like beating up and throwing down yeah, I, well, I was thinking. I was thinking that last time I saw Casino Royale, that scene when um, Daniel Craig like dies of a heart attack and then is brought back by giving himself a shot or however. I'm thinking like, really? That doesn't. <laughs> is that really necessary? Like, is that is that how? So all of the, so whereas he it used to be a lot more his calm, cool demeanor mm-hmm. and you know the great one liners he used with the villains right. that that sort of gave him that cachet. And you're absolutely right. The all of the newer Sherlock, like Sherlock, is is much more physical and active. Whereas in the original Sherlock Holmes stories, you know, he goes out to crime scenes, but quite a lot of time is spent just sitting and cogitating in his in his flat and so with that hat on with the hat on yeah, yeah. exactly um now so when you mentioned sherlock what was the last do you have you ever binge watched anything on like netflix or anything like um, that? um yeah i would say that i watched i i mean uh, depending on how you define binge but i would say i watched the first couple seasons of battlestar galactica say <laughs> in like a week and a half. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly, were, we were yeah. just talking about the Portlandia episode. Oh, really? About yeah. um, about binge bin- watching. Have you seen the Portlandia? I have not. You, yeah. we, we'll they, send you a link. Yeah, but so we were actually debating what is the definition of binge watching. Mm-hmm. I read an article today which I thought misdefined it, defined it incorrectly, by saying that if you watch two in a row, which seemed ridiculous to no. me, it can't be two. 
and Michelle, you said uh, 50% of this of the season is binge watching. Yeah, I think at that point you've committed to like seven episodes. That that's got to count as a binge yeah, watch. Yeah, definitely. That's pretty pretty hardcore. I, I think when you like forget to take medicine or eat, I think maybe that's also maybe binge maybe when it disrupts your daily life would be a good way like to put that. it. Now the, the the binge watching of uh, Battlestar Galactic I mentioned did take place when I was on leave. I was okay. at Stanford on sabbatical, mm-hmm. so you couldn't do that in, in as part of your regular life. Yeah. And I would say that now, if there's like a weekend when I catch up on you know four episodes of you know Mad Men or Breaking Bad or something that okay. that feels kind of bingey to me, but doesn't okay. doesn't qualify in the standards. Maybe just, not. Just yeah. I think it's, yeah, I, I yeah. feel yeah. bad that the season is going through like just as I watch it. You know, I, I imagine the percentage of the season being filled, you know, the bar in your Netflix thing mm-hmm. being filled. And I'm like, I can't believe there's 20% of the season left. Yeah. And it's been just one day. Yeah. That's even a, a weird concept that they, that, you know, you're sort of attentive to it that way. That is, <laughs> it's such a change in how you think of a television show that you think of mm-hmm. it as, you know, a consumption of a finite resource. You've got one right. season, you've got X number <laughs> of episodes as opposed to, and again, this will really d- date me, you know, those of us who remember, um, you know, appointment television when if you wanted to watch, uh, Starsky and Hutch or MASH or or the old, old Star Trek, you had to be in front of the TV at the time they were showing the darn thing because right, yep. otherwise you were not going to see it ever in your life, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, there just weren't, you know, if, unless it went into syndication and then you watched it forever. But you didn't know what was going to happen with the show and you couldn't discuss it with anyone unless you were sitting in front of your TV at yep. the time that it was on. Right. Yeah. So so binge watching aside, what, what are the shows that you're watching right now because you, you mentioned Mad Men you mentioned Breaking Bad mm-hmm. what are some of the other ones yeah, you know and, and I, I like you know and, and I guess these are less you know less current now but um, all of the long kind of serial dramas you know and I, I liked uh, 24 a lot mm-hmm. I, I like um, you know Orange is the New Black mm-hmm. um, the last year or two not surprisingly I haven't had quite as much time oh, yeah, yeah. TV so <laughs> for some why. reason or another I don't know just it doesn't seem to you, know, seem, you make time for TV exactly you got to make it a priority <laughs> exactly tell the board they'll understand <laughs> exactly <laughs> they will. exactly that's right yeah. Well, you know, some of my research um, uh, touches on kind of media studies, so I could kind of make a case that it's really kind of a professional obligation <laughs> when you come right down to it. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Binge watching for me is more prominent for the half hour shows where I, I feel that if I'm watching two or three of them, given the amount of free time that we have, which is very limited, it's like eating candy, like you can just chew them up. They're so satisfying, like <laughs> like chomp, chomp, chomp on mm-hmm. one, two, three, and it's like, you know, 10.30 on a, on a weeknight and you're done for the day. There's nothing else that's going to happen. It's so satisfying to just have like a half hour, an hour of just laying there watching a good Master of None or mm-hmm. an old Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. At the same time, I worry, I, I had a, a slight degree of pride when I saw our recently watched section on Netflix mm-hmm. because they were all just top shelf, you know, five star shows. And there are a lot of those to pick from. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. not even a humble yeah. brag. That's just a plain out brag. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, no, no humility involved there. Yeah, but I, I kind of I I got a little reflective and worried for the for the nation or for the culture of the amount of resources that we as a country put into producing such mm-hmm. high quality entertainment. There's so much out there. There's we could so be many, on Mars right now. Well, there's so many tiers mm-hmm. of it, and how many people are dedicating their lives to producing even better TV, which I enjoy as a consumer. But what percentage of our national economy is binge watchable television programming versus, you know, cancer research? It feels like the I, I feel like the balance is shifting, and it worries me. Do you think <laughs> entertainment is a zero sum game? 
That's a good question. No, that was too well, part I, of a question. I, I might answer that by saying I think a lot of what people used to look for in literature they're now seeing in television. I think the rise of, of serial drama and the incredible in, um, you know, boom in watchable television over the last 15 years, say, yeah. um, you know, has supplanted some of what people used to get out of literature. And actually, it, that doesn't mean that people are reading less. There still is a uh, you know, very strong literary community. And and if you, you know, people are always commenting on the fact that books are not as dead as people thought they would be by now, that, you know, that there there's actually a tremendous amount of literary fiction being written. You look at, like, you watch an episode of 30 Rock or an episode mm-hmm. of Parks and Recreation, and then you go back and watch an episode of Family Ties, not Family <laughs> Ties, or like, like Different Strokes or you know, Facts of Life, mm-hmm. Mork and Mindy. And, yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember enjoying them mm-hmm. at the time and thinking they were great, but oh my gosh, the, just the, unbearable. the hackiness of them when you see them and just the almost vaudevillian humor. It's like, you know, set up punchline and, mm-hmm. and the and studio audience. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. It's just, and then, and then you compare them to the writing on the, sh- on some of the, and not all the shows. Mm-hmm. Certainly there are a bunch of shows today that are not so good, but some of some of the best types of like situational comedies are just are really just amazing. Just that you that there were some then, obviously, all in the family and mash, but even even they were of a different of a different sort. I've seen the reference enough of like the wire is almost Dickensian. It's yes. like a it's uh, like and a Dickens serial. scholars talk about the wire all the time, and, and so people do actually draw that parallel. And well. I think of uh, I remember reading this isn't a Dickens reference, but I remember reading Anna Karenina and, and how it it took me. I don't know, maybe almost a year to read it. And it felt like that was a part of my biography. Like it was a year long Mm -hmm. experience. And I remember the year and I live with that book and that story for so long. And like when Mad Men ended, I felt like, oh, I remember when we started watching this, you Mm -hmm. know, six or seven years ago. And it's, it's not the exact same experience, but it Mm -hmm. felt like, all right, this is a, this is a lived experience. Now that it's over, I remember that span of time in my life when I was watching that show in Mm -hmm. the same way. I remembered reading, you know, these, this huge Tolstoy novel. And it's not a coincidental that those novels are so long. You know, as, as you probably know, uh, the Victorians loved long novels, and many of them were published in serial form. And in my class, I had thought of doing a long Victorian novel and decided not to do something um, as as dramatic as that, but had thought of doing, say, a Dickens novel in, in serialized form, because they were published usually in 20 or 24 parts, and they came out over time. And so, in many cases, some of the novels that now, if you're taking them in an English class, you have to read it in two weeks. The original audience was reading it over the course of about 18 months. So, they really were experiencing unless it much more like Unless they were binge a, reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless they yeah. were binge reading. But, unless they, but it wasn't available. You know, oh. That is, it would come out in pieces. Oh, yeah. And, in fact, the author would be listening to feedback much as um, someone working on a television series might. And so, it was really a much more elongated form and much less like what you think of as the modern novel yeah. writing experience. So, you're legitimizing my enjoyment of comic books then. Totally. There you go. Mm-hmm. There Is you that go, what this ben. was all about? It was. Mm-hmm. Done. It took us a while to get there, but <laughs> right. we got there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Slow play. I think there's a really good like appeal to when something comes up, comes out one by one and, and you know it's over time and it, if it has a big audience, like on TV, it, like it used to be on TV or like House of Cards, I really like the component where you sit down with your friends or like or, or with your professors and then you discuss what happened in the past episode and then what could happen in the next episode and it's, you know, closely guarded until it airs and then you watch it together and this there's the com- community uh, mm-hmm. part to that. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, we're I all think, shaking our head, yes. Well, I feel like there's something very similar about when I read Harry Potter because it came out as I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So you'd have that same, like, you get one book when you're at one age, you get to discuss it for a couple of years with your friends and then the next one comes out and you see how it lines up with your expectations. And it also has that same feel of like, this is 
the time period I spent reading Harry Potter because this mm-hmm. is the course of years that I did that. And it kind of aligned well, too, you know, with our age, I think. Good examples. Mm-hmm. Boy, we're doing a good job. We are. Just think if we had planned this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, one thing that came up earlier, and I wanted to get back to it, is uh, the, the Vermont connections. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have a quiz for you. Oh, okay. It, it's Vermont related. Uh-oh. It'll be so embarrassing if I don't do well. Well, well, it's a quiz for everybody, so everybody's in on it. Everybody. We usually have a real or not quiz. I had to write these down. I don't have them committed to memory. Ooh, okay. All right, so, so Michelle, Renan, you out there? Yep. yep. All right, this week's quiz is uh, Ben and Jerry's flavors. Are these real Ben and Jerry's flavors, or are they made up? Yeah, this is I mean, a good question. Yeah, Ben and I Jerry's think it from appeals Vermont. to me. I'm hoping I can do well on this. I feel like I have enough experience in this. Okay. I feel like there's a couple uh, easy ones to to kind of boost morale, make people feel like... They're in on it, such as number one, fish food. Real, real. Yep. And with P. I always thought it was with an F. Nope. Nope. <laughs> you were thinking of a pagoda. Yeah, exactly. As <laughs> we right? do. Yep. Common confusion. Yes. So, all right, we, all, that's, we all say yes. Yep. That's yes. So that was the giveaway to boost everyone's morale. Now they okay. get difficult. The swirl with the dragon tattoo. No. Haven't heard of it. That that sounds delicious. The swirl with the dragon tattoo. I, I can, like it. I can see a lawsuit there. Why? Maybe. But not with fish food? I feel like it doesn't hit the Ben and Jerry's vibe totally. Yeah. I don't know what dragon tattoo tastes like either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they could have, I mean, if they have little chocolate fish in the fish food, maybe they have little chocolate dragons. That could uh, be. I'm going to I'm gonna like, say. Kind of like gummy bears. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Allison, are you saying yes? I'm skeptical. She's skeptical. Okay. It well, sounds like this is a no. This is a no. And you're all correct. It's no. Yes. That is fabricated. What about, what about Wayne Swirled? Ooh, Wayne Swirled. That sounds more plausible to me. I I can't say I've heard it. I think it's real. I think it's real too. I'm going to say no, because I think that when Wayne's World was big, it was before Ben and Jerry's were making cute flavor names. I think, actually, I think the reason you're saying no is because you think I made that up because we had the swirl with the dragon tattoo. Because uh-huh. you're always trying to play the game maker, not yes, the game. That's right. And you'd be wrong because that's a real flavor. No way. Yep. President Barley, three for three. Wow. Ugh. That's Vermont. There you go. All right, here's another one. Middle berry. <laughs> Jeez, that, I can't believe I don't know that. I, that sounds I, good. Ah, it sounds great. I can't say that I am aware of that. But you know, it's been three years since I lived there, so it might be new. I don't I, I, I don't think so. I, I think it's too specific. I think it is I too think specific. It is, I think it is too. And I think, I can't believe I wouldn't know it if that flavor existed. And Middlebury was hugely litigious. They would have sued Ben and Jerry <laughs> in the Stone Age. It's spelled differently. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to say no as well. It is no, but uh, that seemed like the greatest. Yeah. What a, uh, why isn't it one? Yeah. I'm going to get on the phone to those people. Do I it. made that one up, but then yeah, I, had to go, I had to go look it up. because, like, how is that not a flavor? Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, we are sure. Yeah, but maybe it would seem too too limited. You know, University of Vermont might feel like uh, it's giving an edge to the competition. Well, then they can make up their own flavor. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there you go. All right, how about hazed and confused? Yes, yes, real. Yeah, I'm gonna say people know they're Ben and Jerry's. We do like our ice cream. Uh, Again, I'll I'll say the president is five for five. Wow, (laughs) I think everybody's five for five. Well, not me. A lot of ice cream eaters here. All right, the winter of our discontent. No. <laughs> that would taste terrible. I it's very think. Shakespearean, so I have to like it, but I don't think so. No, it's not. It's not. Nice try, though. Mm. Americone Dream. Yes. Yep. I never heard of it, but I'm just going to go with it. Yes. Stephen I, Colbert. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, Michelle, how do you know these all so well? Uh, senior year spent trying to buy ice cream because I was very stressed. Wow. 
but trying to buy different mm. kinds of ice cream. Yeah, you mm-hmm. got to switch it up from time to oh, time. Yeah. Sure. It sounded like you were going to go with like senior year. I just turned 18 so I could finally buy ice cream. So I just went out <laughs> and bought them all. <laughs> <laughs> like I got my license. Yeah. All right. The Tonight Dough. Hmm. Wait, no. I, I know there was a Jimmy Fallon one, but I don't know if that was the one. It's not. A, I don't think that's right. I'm going to have to abstain. I don't know. It really is one. It really is Very one. Really? President Barley again abstaining so that she didn't get a wrong one. Wow. Uh, that is kind of cheating. You'd have to put me as, well, I don't know. I guess I was leaning yes, but I was reluctant to commit myself. So, mm-hmm. All right. That was know, finally. Kind of like a Senate vote, not taking a position. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, by this point, too, I feel good that I tricked Michelle once. Yeah. There you go. I'm, uh, glad, I, I'm glad I could help you. All right. Here's another one. Sherbert and Ernie. That would taste terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Does that have like little bits of fuzz in it? (laughs) I'm going to say no. Mm. Sure, Burton Ernie. No. But we agree it's a great name. It is. Mm -hmm. It's a fantastic Mm -hmm. name. So you should be working for Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. Yeah. So how come they don't have a Bernie uh, Bernie themed ice cream? <laughs> As someone who, of course, is you know uh, no, right. knows Bernie from my years in Vermont, it's been uh, so much fun to watch him. It's like watching your uncle suddenly mm-hmm. become famous. Yeah, it's because he's such a familiar figure in Vermont, and I knew lots of people who work for his campaign. I think and, that that ice cream would like taste like Old Spice, right? Or something. Like <laughs> yeah, that. I'm not sure. saying it'd be a good flavor. Yeah. I'm just saying it would be consistent with the. That's true. That's a really good point. I think that I think I mean at the end of the day, they actually do have to sell ice cream. Yeah, so. that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. What well, couldn't they have some isn't there something that where they could just have like a socialist ice cream or something? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. They could, ice they cream could, socialist. Ice cream socialist. Oh, right. there you go. There that's you go. great. That's great. Just I like right. That. Did you think of that before? And no, I you just had, thought of you it right had now. That. You've been holding that for like no, a week. No, it's uh this is my superpower. Ice cream yeah. socialist. Port, yeah. Portmanteau. Portmanteau. They have uh the website you can suggest names, so uh, I hope by the time this airs, we've already Heard ice cream socialist, well, I think, ought to be up there. Yeah. Our, our, our listeners will probably have done this, and they'll be all rich and famous. Right. Yeah, that'll take us, that'll take it. us far. Did you want to leave any time for your for the Friday Yeah, Sunday? I do, I do. So, a question that I've been asking, um, that we've published research on recently. <laughs> so, we ask a question, simple question. Which day of the week do you prefer, Friday or Sunday? If you had to pick a day. And we can tell you which one is right. After, after you respond. I got to go with Friday. Okay, you're correct. Um, <laughs> the, by a two to one margin. Well, by, yes, by two to one. So the listeners will know this because we, we um, have asked this you're question. Incessant. It, it is incessant, but it's something I've thought about before we ever did the podcast because the idea that Friday is the day that you're actually, I mean, it, obviously you work a lot, um, probably more than just a regular 40 hour week, but Generally, people work their five days and they're off on Saturday and Sunday. And yet, a lot for, from a two-to-one perspective, people prefer Friday to Sunday, even though on Friday they're working and on Sunday mm-hmm. they're off. It's all about the anticipation. There you go. There you go. This is it. I, I actually have very pleasant associations with Friday going back to grad school when um, in the English department at Penn where I was, we used to throw a cocktail party on Fridays. And the way I met my husband, Steve, was we were both on the social committee of mm. the English department, well, you know, well. graduate student association. And so we were in charge of like going out and buying beer for the cocktail parties on Friday. Perfect. And so then when I got to Middlebury, there was a group of faculty there, junior faculty, who started a kind of Friday evening, you know, thing where we would go out to dinner mm-hmm. together Friday. And I've been good. Up until the time I left, and even now when I go back and visit, I had dinner every Friday with these group of people for more than 20 years. Wow. You know, and when we all had kids, then we would start having sure. pizza at our houses yeah. instead of going out to yeah. restaurants. But to, to me, a Friday where you're not at least expecting or hoping to have fun just mm-hmm. doesn't feel right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
Now, um, the research we've done has to do with correlations of that preference and candy preferences. So this is informal research. This is not authorized institutional research office no, research. No, 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 no. <laughs> this did not is, get IRB. Did not get any approval. It's not. It's not me. It's uh, spare is, time research. This is web based boing boing. Actually, research. yeah, through Ben's um, annual survey on uh, Halloween candy preferences, oh, he, okay. he put in a question in in on on the boing boing survey of Friday, Sunday preference. And we found some interesting things. So are you a, wh what are your thoughts on black licorice? Fan, not fan? I would have to say not fan. There you go. It fits. It fits. It fits Sunday people exactly. prefer black, black licorice. Yep. They, they, interesting. they prefer all kinds of weird candies. Is, and is there some kind of retro connection there where people who like the kind of family-oriented, quiet New York Times reading Sunday are also the kind of people who like old-fashioned candy? I think maybe because uh, Sunday people are actually older, significantly <laughs> older than Friday significantly people. Significantly like hmm. 1.5 years. Phew, I'm glad I still statistical slipped in, in the exactly. number category. That probably, shh, close. It's, it's statistically should, significant. This is based on, it's like 5,000, I think 5,000 yeah. votes. So we so. have a pretty significant sample size. That is mm -hmm. a significant sample yep. size. Yep. I feel like we, we should uh, close out the show. Yes. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, Allison, this has been great. Thank you for coming on. Everyone out there can follow us on Twitter at some later date. You can email us at variousbreadsandbutters at gmail.com. Allison, what's your Twitter handle if they'd like to follow you? Uh, it is at Allison Byerly. And uh, I, think, I think that's it. Are yeah. we ready to go? Good. Okay, good. Thank you. We can put that in. Thank All you right. very much. There you go. Cool. Yeah, thank you very much. I think okay. we're good. Great talking to you guys. Headphones off. Headphones off. Headphones off. How many, how many emails do you get a day? Ooh, uh, hmm, probably two or three hundred. Hmm. You don't have an email handler? Like nobody's helping with? I, I don't. Are you a Mac or a PC person? Oh, tough. Uh, PC. Totally PC. Hmm. Wow. Do, do, you, do you have an iPhone or like a, a Microsoft phone? Uh, I have an iPhone 6, I think. Hmm. I wonder which one I have. should have invited Barley to bring her entourage. Yeah, does she does she have a secret service? And if not, can I be the head of it? No and no.